covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us. Oh, how things can change in a week's time. Last week, the Brewers were coming off a four-game series against the Reds where they lose three of four. This week, they're coming off a three-game series against the Reds where they sweep them. And when you combine those back-to-back series with the All-Star break in between, Brewers end up taking four of seven and their lead in the National League Central is sitting at seven games. A lot to get to this week on the podcast. Our housekeeping items here. Uh, if you want to get in contact with me, find me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can leave a ranking and review, that's fantastic. If you listen on Apple Podcast and you're not subscribed and you want to subscribe, that helps out as well. Uh, here's what's coming up on the show this week. Scott Warris, the host of WTMJ Nights. He is uh, back on as we get him on every uh, couple months or so just to have a good, solid baseball conversation. And uh, that's what's going to be coming up here in just a little while. You got to – it's baseball the, – the baseball schedule, it's an organism of its own being. Like, it's it, it's – it's really an interesting thing, the, the ups and the downs and the reactions and the, the non-reactions and, and just everything that happens over the course of a 162-game season. I'll say, when the Brewers lose three out of four to the Reds last weekend going into the All-Star break, um, it felt like that was the Reds putting themselves right back into contention. It also was, you know what, the the end of a really long run without that many off days for the Brewers. For whatever reason, they've had some tough moments right before the All-Star break. So you didn't look too much into it. But to be fair about everything, it was... It, it, it allowed the Reds back into the race, right? Like solidly in the race. Um, they were back within four with another three-game series against the Brewers looming where they could have made it really interesting. And the Brewers um, go into the All-Star break. They come out of it. They look revived. They look refreshed. They look ready to go. The pitching is all set up. And uh, what do they do? They end up uh, sweeping the Reds. They did a lot of work against the Cincinnati bullpen. The Cincinnati bullpen is a really, really bad part of that Reds team. It's just not a very good aspect of it. And uh, the Brewers, to their credit, did what they're supposed to do, and that's score runs against the Reds bullpen, and they're able to sweep the series. And it's it's kind of funny because, and this is just the, the way things go in a baseball season, yeah, Reds, the, the Reds and Reds fans and everybody could have felt so good about themselves after taking three out of four last weekend. Well, then they end up getting swept, and they're in worse position now than they were going into last weekend. They end up losing uh, a game because they lose four of the overall seven uh, between these two teams. So, it's um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to see how things can change. I do think, and we're coming up on the trade deadline, so conversations about what the Brewers need to do uh, in front of the trade deadline are going to uh, continue to increase. We'll have another podcast coming up uh, next week, and that's going to be just days before the deadline. So we'll spend a little bit more time on that coming up uh, next week. But I, I do think that the Brewers have pushed their bullpen depth about as far as they possibly can, and it would be smart to bring in another arm or two that you can put into some high-leverage spots. And this is something that David Stearns has been really, really, really good at in his time with the Brewers. Uh, the hits that he has in terms of the relief pitchers that he brought in and who's given the Brewers some some pretty big moments. You know, you go back to Anthony Swarzak and you think Jordan Lyles and Drew Pomerantz and Joaquin Soria and I'm sure there's other names that I'm not even thinking of here off the top of my head, but it's one area that the Brewers have been pretty good at, and that's finding relief pitchers who are able to come in, contribute immediately, and can pitch towards the end of games. Devin Williams went on the injured list uh, this weekend. It's not expected to be a major thing, but he's going to be out for a little while. Um, 
You have Brad Boxberger, who dealt with a little bit of shoulder stiffness. His uh, velocity was down significantly in uh, his uh, when he when he did pitch against the Reds on Saturday, and then he ends up giving up a home run and comes out of the game. So it just it, it feels like, and they're getting great innings. Don't get me wrong. You know, Miguel Sanchez has been good, and Jake Cousins has been good, and Hunter Strickland has been good. Like they're they are getting innings and they're getting performances from from people that you weren't expecting them to get and for the most part they've been pretty good but it just feels like they're still at a place where um, they could use another arm or two in the bullpen I am going to be curious to see what happens at first base a lot of credit goes to Jace Peterson Peterson is not your stereotypical prototypical prototypical first baseman, right? Like he's not somebody who's going to probably go hit 30 home runs for you. He's not going to drive in 85 to 100 runs. But what he's done is he's put himself in a position where you can't take him out of the lineup. And he's played a little bit of first base. He's okay over there from a defensive standpoint. Now that Colton Wong is back, uh, they are going to have to play him at first base probably a little bit more if they want to get him in the lineup. Keston Hira just simply has not performed. Uh, Rowdy Telez has, it's been very limited opportunities for Telez, but he hasn't done all that much since he was acquired. And right now, Peterson is probably the guy who gives you uh, the best chance to win being in the lineup if you put him at first base. You're not going to get uh, the, the numbers that you would want to get out of first base, but you're going to get a little bit more than maybe those other two guys are going to uh, going to offer you. But you have to wonder if there's an opportunity to go get a first baseman, maybe get them relatively cheap in terms of the prospect capital that you have to give up. If they're, I still believe there are teams out there that are going to want to shed payroll. Uh, that was a big thing going into this season as things have gotten more normal, as ballparks and ball clubs have been able to go to full capacity. The, the narrative about uh, shedding payroll is, is something that has started to go away a little bit, but I still believe there are a fair amount of teams out there that if they get the opportunity to uh, trade away a veteran guy that's got uh, some money left on their deal, that they would be jumping at the opportunity to do so. And then that presents the question, how much can the Brewers push payroll uh, this year? And I think Mark Atanasio, to me, has a track record that – when given an opportunity to really improve the club and it takes spending a little bit more money, when he gets that phone call from David Stearns and Stearns presents him with something and says what it's going to take from a financial standpoint to make it happen, from from everything we know, Mark Atanasio says yes. And this year is a very different year. Um, yeah, they are back at full capacity. But I was talking about this the other day. Um, we had a call on the Brewers X-Drains post-game show probably about two weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer than that time, kind of mushes together for me sometimes. And somebody was asking about the crowds at American Family Field and why there weren't more people at the games now that it's full capacity. And my answer to that is you don't have the groups. And if, if you're around baseball at any level, one of the one of the biggest sources of ticket sales and one of the biggest sources of income is the groups that you bring in. And, you know, every church, every Kiwanis club, every Rotary club, every you know, every four like whatever. It's just like all the groups, the youth groups, the schools, the day camps, like they all do a day at the ballpark. And on a normal year, it's very common to be at the ballpark and to see out in the parking lot and see just rows and rows of buses. That doesn't exist this year. The group sales department with the Brewers wasn't able, they were not able to be able to sell groups during the offseason because they didn't know when uh, and how many fans would be allowed and when they would be allowed in. So I'm sure they're working hard right now, but that's not something that you just kind of do at the snap of a finger. So uh, I, I would assume, I don't know for sure, I would assume revenue is still... Uh, a little bit down, so maybe the answer is a little bit different this year than other years. But I do think that you know this is this is a Brewers team with the pitching that they have. They've got the opportunity to make some noise and make significant noise in the postseason. And if there is an opportunity to improve the club in a profound way, when you look at the makeup of the club, you feel like that maybe first base is that position where you can do that. If an opportunity presents itself to David Stearns and Matt Arnold, 
but it's going to take a little bit of money to do it. I'm sure it has to be somewhat within reason. I would expect that the organization uh, would probably be able to, to move forward. So we'll find out. We're, I mean, we're, I don't think it's too early to be having these conversations. We're a week and a half out from the trade deadline. By the way, I didn't realize this until this past week. In fact, our featured guest this week is WTMJ Knights host Scott Warris. And he texted me a question the other day, and I didn't realize it, and maybe it's a bad job by me not realizing it. The trade deadline this year, generally it is on July 31st. Uh-uh, not this year. Instead, the trade deadline is going to be on Friday, July 30th. Now, the reason behind that, the trade deadline occurs during the uh, middle of the afternoon. I think it's, what, 3 o'clock? Is that right? Three Is it 3 or 3 Eastern? Anyway, it's, t- it's 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but it's a, it's a late afternoon deal, and Major League Baseball does not want to be in a situation where you have a bunch of teams playing day games and they're forced to maybe not put somebody in the lineup or the uncomfortable thing of taking somebody out of the lineup, just everything that goes along with it. And if, you know, In a normal year, maybe there might be a game or two happening during the day. It's not a big deal. But on a, on a Saturday, you've got lots of day games. So they've moved it to Friday this year. It's going to be on Friday, July 30th, instead of Saturday, July 31st. So it's the July 30th trade deadline. I also have a conspiracy theory here. I'm always down for a good conspiracy theory. Major League Baseball trade deadline day is a huge day for MLB Network. Huge day for MLB Network. And, you know, from from the moment you wake up until the afternoon, they are doing nothing but trade deadline coverage, and they got all their insiders in their little offices, and they do the thing with the camera where it goes from one office to the next office, and the, the insider says, you know, this is what I'm hearing. Like, it's a huge day for MLB Network, and they're not going to really be able to do that on Saturday. They won't have the audience on, on a Saturday. So part of me, th- I agree. I, I believe that part of it is connected to the uh, not wanting so many uh, day games going on, but... The uh, my conspiracy theory says it's also uh, connected to uh, them being able to uh, provide the best possible content for MLB Network. I don't know. That's just those are my thoughts. Those are not anybody else's thoughts. The official word is uh, because of the uh, the day baseball stuff. All right, but uh, as mentioned, it is time for our featured conversation this week. We're very happy to welcome back onto the podcast. It's been. Almost two months to the day because he was just uh, giving me a little bit of trouble before we started uh, recording this on uh, thinking that he was coming back on too, too frequently, that it was it was too soon to have him back on. But no, he comes on about every two months. He is the host of WTMJ Nights when there is not a Brewers game or a Bucks game, 6-9 on WTMJ. I tell you what his Twitter account is, but he doesn't have one. So uh, you can always uh, you can always tweet at his producer if you would like to. His uh, producer is Greg Hill, who's also the producer of uh, of Brewers Extra Innings. And I'm looking up his Twitter account so I don't screw it up. It is what the Hill G G B G E E. So if you want to get in contact with Scott on Twitter, just go through his producer, Greg Hill. He is Scott Warris. Hi, Scott. Yeah, because I check in with Greg every few minutes to ask if anybody has tweeted at me or about me on his account. So, uh, yeah, please promote his Twitter account so that if somebody wants to get in touch with me. But what a that's his Twitter handle? I did not know that. Yeah. That's really long and random and uh, whatever. Would you rather me uh, give out your office phone number so people can leave messages for you? No. uh, You know what? Enough people have that number uh, that I get enough voicemails. So, no, that's okay. okay. That's all right. I appreciate it. It's good to be back, um, like you said, every couple of months. Yeah. Every couple of months. This is good. We actually saw each other outside of the office and outside of talking to each other going back to Greg Hill. And I know uh, you're, you're going to have him back behind the glass for your Monday edition of your big program, WTMJ Nights. And I'm sure you guys will do a full postmortem on on the uh, on the Greg Hill wedding. But yes, you you and I were part of the WTMJ contingent at the Greg Hill wedding. That is correct. And uh, I don't know if you've talked about this publicly or not on said podcast, but uh, tip of the cap to you that chose to attend his wedding reception rather than continue your Gehrig-like streak 
of hosting Brewers Extra Innings. Uh, as I understand, it's the first Brewers Extra Innings that you missed since you arrived in Milwaukee and started doing the show, like you said, some 700 straight shows. But you said, no, Greg Hill is more important than the WTMJ listeners, at least for one night only. Yes, that and, is. Uh, you were there. <laughs> th- thankfully, it was not like during a World Series game or a playoff game or something. Well, I think I, 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 I hate to say this. I think I would have done Brewers extra innings uh, if it was a postseason game. But kind of like you know, Justin Garcia was there, and I think yeah. it would have been the same case for him. That if that night would have been a Bucks playoff game, he probably would not have been able to attend the wedding. It all lined up perfectly for everybody, and it was a Friday night in the summertime, so I didn't have anything on my calendar, surprisingly. I know you're surprised to hear that, so I, too, could attend. It really was a, it was a nice event, and all the stars aligned so that all the stars could be there. Yeah. It was good. It was great. We'll be back at it again uh, this week. Okay. If you if if and when you get married, Scott, if it's the exact same situation, and if I am uh, blessed with an invitation to your wedding, I will I will take the night off from Brewers Extra Innings for your wedding. Well, in that case, I'm going to pick a date that's right smack dab in the middle of the postseason, and I will challenge you to see how committed you are to keeping that promise. Hopefully how about this? How about this for a segue? Well, then there's a pretty good chance the Brewers will still be playing because it looks like they're en route to the postseason now. Hey, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, uh, it it certainly it certainly has that feeling. Yeah, and you know, it, 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 I tell you what, I don't know who stood first, but 11 game winning streaks. If you're in the right position when you start on the 11 game winning streak, it can kind of set you on a good course. The rest of the way, I mean, it can dig out of a hole, or if you're like the Brewers and they were just kind of, you know, in that five, six, over 500 range, boom, an 11 gamer, and suddenly you've got a little cushion, and they do pretty good stuff. Well, you talked about it on, on my post game show at that point when they got right around the end of the 11 game winning streak, they were at a point where all they would need to do is go 500 the rest of the way mm-hmm. to get to about 90 wins, and you would think 90 is probably going to win the NL Central. So that that just kind of underscores the point that you just made. If you can go on that long winning streak, you can put yourself in position where you don't have to play great baseball the rest of the way to still have a pretty good shot at the postseason. Now, you'd like to play great baseball. You'd like to have momentum going into the postseason. But it also kind of changes some things because you're able to you're able to make some decisions that will help you at the end of the year. You know, if the Brewers are are scrapping and fighting, and maybe they still will. You know, this thing isn't over yet. But if the Brewers are scrapping and fighting for a playoff spot, then maybe you scrap the six-day rotation and you go to the conventional five-man rotation and you're not as strong at the end of the year. But if you're in really good position, Craig Council can stick with that six-day rotation and hopefully that helps you at the end of the season. So I think it's things like that that where what you do in the months of May, June, July can pay out some dividends come September, October. Mm -hmm. And the way the rest of the division has performed or has not performed, I I think it puts a different spin on everything. I mean, you know, there's as we take this, I think they're 16 or 17 over, and uh, they've got a a seven-game lead right now in the division. And, you know, it's one of the things where you, you look at, okay, that's great. We feel good about how we're playing. From the Brewers' perspective, you feel good about how the Brewers are playing. But you're always looking behind, you know, okay, who's coming, who's coming, who's coming. And obviously, I mean, you look at Chicago, and that has been a true mystery. The window obviously has closed on the Cubs, or they're closing it on themselves based on what they do come trade deadline. So, I mean, I think the threat of the Cubs has been neutralized, if for no other reason than the way they've handled, the Brewers have handled them this year. Um Again, we're taping this coming off a sweep of Cincinnati. So you play the seven game, the seven game series against Cincinnati. You know the uh, the wrap around the All Star break, and they end up one game better than they were when the seven games started. Okay, in St. Louis, um, which I know you're kind of closer to St. Louis with your roots than than and follow the Cardinals maybe a little more than I do. But um, I keep waiting for St. Louis. Like I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and you look at the standings every couple of days, and they're just not, I mean, here we sit, like you said, you know, a couple of weeks left in July, and they're just not, 
they're not getting going yet. Now, I know they took two out of three from San Francisco this weekend, which is saying something, obviously. And uh, looks like their pitching staff pitched pretty well. What, a couple of 2-1 wins, I think. But um, I keep waiting for the Cardinals. Waiting. All right, this is it. This is it. And they just, I, I just feel like they haven't gotten going yet. And eventually you, you, you run out of games on the board. Uh, what are they, eight, nine games back now? So the Cardinals are kind of like an enigma. The Reds, I don't know about you. I don't, and I know they're in second place and had performed well going into the break, blah, blah, blah. I'm not so, I, the, the Reds don't, I don't know. I guess I need the Reds to prove to me that they're going to be a serious contender. And maybe I'm just waiting on St. Louis because they're always a contender and they always make a charge. So I've, I'm oddly comfortable with the position the Brewers are in. Um, not only because of the way they're playing, but because of the way the other teams in the division aren't playing. Yeah, I've never believed in the Reds. And for I don't get it, Scott. Maybe you can help explain this to me. It seems like every year when the prognostications come out, the national media thinks so much more of the Reds than what they should. And I know they were a playoff team last year just in the same sense that the Brewers were a playoff team last year, but the Brewers have a little bit more of a recent track record in the David Stearns era of being a legitimate playoff team where for for Cincinnati, they, they finally get themselves into the postseason thanks to the expanded, expanded playoff. And I just don't get it. Like I don't, I don't think it's an organization that's committed to winning. Uh, I think we saw that in the off season when they when they got rid of Iglesias and reportedly everybody else was available. Sonny Gray was available, Mustakas was available, like everybody's available. You give the guys on the team credit for playing themselves into a position where uh, they were a week ago. They had to feel really, really good about themselves, but now they're kind of pushed back down. But I just I've never felt that that organization is truly committed to winning. And if you're playing in an organization that's not committed to winning, well, then more often than not, you don't win. Yeah, I guess that maybe that's why I just I don't feel threatened by Cincinnati and haven't for you know a long time. Um, I feel like every year they're either. Uh, how can I say this? I feel like every other year, it's, it's well, their offense is stacked, and they're going all in on the free a couple of big free agent signings. You know, whether it's like Mustakis or, or Castellanos, okay, they're going to bolster the lineup, and they're going to be mashing in that ballpark, which is certainly very possible. And then the year after that, you know, um, let me try that again. So after they're mashing, but their pitching staff's no good. So then the next year, their philosophy is, all right, you know what? The offense is going to come because we, we play in a bandbox. Let's go after our pitching. And then they'll have a year where, you know, it was that a couple years ago. I mean, they had a pretty stellar starting rotation, some power arms there at the back end of the bullpen, but their offense sucked. And then they flip flop. They, they, they can't get all the cylinders to fire simultaneously in one year. So I feel like the last four, five, six years, it's been good offense, horrible pitching, great pitching. They can't hit back and forth, back and forth, mix in some injuries, and I guess you get put it all together, and that's why neither of us are very concerned about Cincinnati. I am going to sound like a mean-spirited person with what I'm about to say, and maybe that's true or not. People can go ahead and uh, judge for you themselves. Don't have to, hang on. You don't have to couch it with that. Just go and say it, Matt. Okay. I think let it fly. I think the way these seven games against Cincinnati played out could not have played out any better for the Brewers. Even if they would have um, won more games in that series in Milwaukee, because what I think happened was the Reds took three out of four from the Brewers, felt so good about themselves, wind in the sails. All the momentum, they're walking to the mountaintop, and then the all-star break ends, and they come back around, and the Brewers sweep them in Cincinnati. Like I think there's almost a benefit to giving the Reds a little bit of life and then snuffing them out as opposed to uh, just playing really well throughout the entire course of the seven games. Well, and I mean, it's kind of like in baseball in general, um, Brewers feel good after the seven games, but so they won, what, four of the seven, right? Yeah. So what if the Brewers would have swept? What if the Brewers would have won the four 
at uh, AmFam before the All-Star break, but would have just gotten swept by Cincinnati. You'd still have gone four and three, but you'd have a different feel. Right. And Cincinnati might still be riding high. So just to, just to, to, to bolster your point, it's amazing how in baseball, because of the series structure that teams play, it's how do you feel on the way out? Even if, in the end, you could have done the same damage on the front end, but it's just a different vibe on the way out. You're right. I mean, it's, but isn't that what I just got done saying what Cincinnati is? Hey, we got it going, and then a series later, oh, maybe not. It's just an enigma. It's really weird. It's just they're not consistent. There's no consistency there, whether it's on the field or in the front office, philosophy or uh, philosophically uh, or whatnot. And um, meanwhile, the Cardinals are, I don't know what the Cardinals are. We haven't seen the Cardinals since May, right? So I have no idea what St. Louis is right now. They're not the same team without Jack Flaherty, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. I, I, it's kind of funny because the last time we talked, as mentioned earlier, was back on May 17th-ish when uh, you were last on the podcast. That was five days before the arrival of Willie Adamas, and that has the, our conversation today is completely different about this team. I don't remember specifically. I remember they were not playing great baseball at the time, and we had kind of a more of a general all-encompassing Major League Baseball talk as opposed to specifically about the Brewers because it was a low point. But who could have ever even started to guess what kind of impact Adamus would have? And, I mean, just to put that in perspective, the numbers that he just put up in this Cincinnati series alone, just in the three games, he goes 8 for 13. He hits two home runs, seven RBIs, six runs, three walks, and that just continues an outstanding run. And I, you know, I think it was Mike Vasallo, the Brewers PR director, who tweeted out something about, you know, Adamus needs to be getting legit talk about National League MVP. And if you really. If, if you really look at that award as the most valuable player, not as the player of the year, and that's an argument and a discussion that baseball pundits have on an every-year basis, I mean, who who in the world, the Brewers have the best record in baseball since he walked in the door and they were just kind of okay before then, who has had a larger impact on their team in a more positive way than Willie Adamas? No, that's, it's been amazing. No, nobody saw it coming. I. I mean, I don't even think Craig got... There's nobody in the dugout or in the... Or even David Stern, in his wildest dreams, could not have, uh, you know, seen it play out the way it has. And, and the thing that you see when you watch the games and you hear about... It, it's been covered, it's not a secret, is just the overall... Um, his, his personality and how well it fits in. And it's fun to watch him play... You know, we, we know about his, uh, you know, friendship with uh, Avisail Garcia, which was a big reason why maybe the uh, the adoption here into this team has been so seamless, so flawless. And uh, Urias and he have become good friends, it would appear. And, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, too, about, do you remember when Craig Council got the job? When Craig Council got this job, as manager, what, seven, now seven years ago, eight years ago, I remember he spent a lot of time talking about culture. He talked a lot about um, making sure that the dynamic in the clubhouse was uh, of a certain caliber, a certain way. Um, not just having high-character guys, but having high-character guys that all enjoy one another. And we have seen during the council era now different iterations of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in 2018, it was the Yelich uh, um, and uh, Perez and Aguilar, Kane, yeah. Lorenzo Kane, uh, you know, all that stuff. I forgot what did, is that when they did the, uh, I don't know, this year's claws up. They had something else, too. You know, you get on base, you do a gesture of some sort. But I, I feel like during Council's uh, time, there have been different periods where you can just see that character of the team really come through a television screen, or if you're at the game, you can just see it. And um, I was thinking about that the other day, just watching some of them, and I should go back and look to see what he said originally. But I remember like he spent an inordinate amount of time talking about building a character in the clubhouse, which was kind of weird at the time, because it's not as if there were 
uh, you know, reports that there was a lot of ill will and, and infighting or anything like that by any means, but um, he was on to something there. And back to what you, you know, back to our original point, Adamus has fit in like a glove. And every time they've been really good in 2018, every guy just seems to fit. And yeah, when you're winning, you have fun and all that stuff, obviously. But there's just a fit with each piece and each personality. And that's from the outside looking in. So I can only imagine what it's really like. Yeah, a few things to kind of respond to what you said, because you said a lot just now, and I think it's really important. And people who have listened to me a lot know some of the things I'm about to say. Um, I think Craig Council is a perfectly fine in-game field manager. This has nothing to do with his in-game managing. What I think he brings, the, the thing I think is his number one asset to the club, and I'm not intimately um, you know, connected and, and understanding and just familiar with every other manager in Major League Baseball, but I can tell you that in some places – if you're like a new guy or if you're a young guy, you walk into a clubhouse and it's like, oh, I'm a major leaguer now. I need to act like a major leaguer. And yeah, there's a there's a certain level of professionalism and everything that goes along with that, but it's not about who you are as a person. And Craig Council has installed this culture where guys can just walk in and be who they are. Now, part of that is the Brewers under David Stearns and Matt Arnold finding the right character fits for that clubhouse. So somebody walking, because if you walk in and you're a jerk and you act like a jerk, that's not good. But you can you can have a, a big personality or whatever it might be, and you don't feel like you have to tamp down on that. And you can walk in and just be exactly who you are. And, Scott, I think that's a really big thing. And I can tell you, just as you know, when the Brewers sign players or acquire players in the offseason – I very often have them as guests on Brewers Weekly, and I can tell you that you know that NLCS run uh, that they made when they got to Game Seven, what in 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 2018, that was a year where um, I can't tell you how many players I spoke to for the years following when they became Brewers said, you know, we watched the Brewers and, and they just looked like everybody was yeah. having so much fun, and that made this an appealing destination, and. Especially when it's happening in the postseason, when you've got that kind of swagger and you've got that fun that's going on, that's a that makes lasting impressions on other players watching on TV. And all these ball players talk to each other. They all you know, a lot of them train in the off season. You've got the the Malibu contingent and the Las Vegas contingent and the Nashville contingent. Like you got you got these pockets across the country, the Florida contingent, where you got a lot of Major League Baseball players kind of clustered together, and a lot of them work out together. They all talk to each other, and I think under Craig Council. Uh, the Brewers have very much become a destination location, largely because of the culture that he sets. Right. Yeah. And um, and I mean, and above all, winning. Yeah. Because the, the, the two are tied. I mean, you don't <laughs> you don't often hear about the team that's out there losing ninety, ninety five, one hundred games. But oh man, the culture they had, the culture they had was amazing. No, I mean, I. I I get it, and winning covers up and, and solves a lot of uh, you know problems in the world of sports. But yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of those little things too, and that's probably something when we look at the overall. Like you and I, I feel like you and I always at some point either here or radio or whatever end up talking about the uh, the wherewithal of Craig Council and how he's viewed because I'm always fascinated to talk about that. But I think that's one of the things that most fans either don't realize or choose not to acknowledge or whatnot, but it's got to start from somewhere. I mean, we've all worked at companies for bosses, for businesses where maybe the culture wasn't that great. And you look at the person at the top of the organization and it's all a trickle down from there. I mean, baseball is no different than any other, any other business, whether you're a lawyer or you work in a, in a steel mill or whatever the case might be. I mean, if the guy at the top is of a certain ilk and he or she is willing to make, you know, your company high on culture, chances are the employees are going to be pretty productive. So that's exactly what's going on here. So now I think that's something that people got to pay attention to, more attention to. A couple big picture things before I get you out of here. First off, 
Rob Manfred speaking this past week around the All-Star game uh, indicated that he believes seven-inning doubleheaders will probably be a thing of the past, and also the runner-on at second to start extra inning games will be a thing of the past. I... I'm not surprised by the seven inning thing. I expected that to be something that would go away. It just it doesn't completely seem like baseball. I thought in many ways because of the impact, the positive impact it has on teams not being forced to you know play these 15 inning games where all of a sudden your bullpen is completely messed over for the course of a week and you're designating for assignment guys that you'd like to keep in the organization, but you've, there's more value to bringing up another arm. I, I thought there was a pretty good chance that we might see uh, at least for the regular season the the runner on its second for extra innings sticking around or maybe starting the 11th inning or the 12th inning or something like that. But it sounds like both those rules are probably on the way out. Does any of that surprise you? Uh, yes, both. I think I texted you. I said, ah, I saw, I mean, if I had to guess, I would have guessed that both would have stayed. I would have guessed that, well, I mean, they used to play seven-inning doubleheaders, like back in the early 1900s, didn't they? Or maybe like one was a seven-inning and one was a nine-inning. I mean, at any rate, um, I thought... The seven inning um, doubleheaders would have stayed just because the um, you know the, the the players, the managers, they would have been in support of that based on you know just keeping guys healthier. I'm not even talking COVID now. Just hey, there's fewer innings, less chance of injury, um, pitching or otherwise. And the run on second thing, I guess if I had to pick one, and you said, Scott, one of these is definitely going to stay, I would have picked the runner on second thing. And I said this on the air the other night. Uh, I was so anti-runner at second to start extra innings going into last year. I hated it. I did not like the concept. It's not baseball. It's like something I see when I'm out there umpiring some youth baseball tournament and we do the California tiebreak rule where you put a kid at second base and every batter has a 1-1 count. And then it was an extra inning game, the Brewers' first extra inning game last year, 2020, at Pittsburgh. And I'm, I'm going to bed, so I'm laying in bed, got the radio on, it was uh, Levering and Grindle, and I'm like, all right, I'll just listen to the Invis game, and then I'm turn it off, go to bed. And son of a gun, they went to a 10th inning, and I'll never forget it. I got up, I turned the light on, I walked into the living room, I turned the light on there, I turned on the television, and I watched the extra inning. And from that moment, they had me hooked. And hmm. as I'm doing it, as I was doing it, I'm like, son of a gun, they got me. This is not something I like, but here I am, physically getting out of bed to turn on the TV, because the Brewers are going to start, they were in Pittsburgh, they're going to start the top of the tenth with a runner at second, and there's going to be juice and action right out of the gate. And once that happened, I knew they got me, and I did a complete 180 on that. Um, I actually, to the point where I wouldn't mind if it would have kept it uh, moving forward. So I was surprised that both are going away. I was much closer to being shocked that the runner on second thing was going away. Not just because I enjoyed it, but for the reason you said we're not going to have 14, 16 inning games and bullpens are gassed for the next four or five days. So I was surprised and a little bit shocked for the one. Last thing for you, the Bucks on Tuesday are going to uh, play. Uh, if they win, they win an NBA title. They're one win away from an NBA title with you know two opportunities to, to get that. They could win at home on Tuesday. The Brewers move their Tuesday game to an afternoon game to accommodate people being able to watch both games. It, it's just... It's a really cool time, and I've I've been here now what six years or so, and I, I I think it's hard to find another state, another city in the country that has as consistently successful teams as the state of Wisconsin, the city of Milwaukee has. But man, this is this is pretty special right now when you've got your NBA team playing for a championship, and you got your, your baseball team with a seven-game lead in the division. This is, this is a good time to be a Milwaukee sports fan. Well, I'll expand a little bit. You get your quarterback back, and you have a Super Bowl contender right away. But that's another story for another podcast. I'm sure and there are plenty of podcasts discussing that. No, it is. like Look, I'm, I'm from this area. Born, bred, raised, reside. And we were, we were uh, 
wandering in the desert for many, many years. And as I said before to you and on the shows and stuff like that, just enjoy this ride as much as you can. You know, we live and die with every win or loss or brewers, you know, every series. Um, just enjoy this because you're right. There are there's plenty of people in, in our own backyard who it's been a long, long time since they've experienced anything like this where you have the golden age of Brewers baseball in their history. You have the Bucks and what the Bucks are doing, and uh, just enjoy it. I mean, I think you have to, and, and hopefully make sure your team capitalizes. And enjoy it now and make sure your team capitalizes when they can. Yeah. Like, I've used 2018 as an example many times of talking about the Bucks throughout this journey um, that you just never know. When you got Game 7, Win, or win and go to the uh, World Series on your home turf, you got to take advantage of it. And when you don't, who knows when you're going to get back in that situation. So, yeah. Hey, before we uh, wrap this up, can we go back to baseball? Can I just get uh, two things off my chest real quick? Yeah, absolutely. If I may, all-star related, please tell me the jerseys. Please tell me there was such a negative pushback. And I know Nike and the MLB and all that stuff. Please tell me you think there was such a pushback to those god awful jerseys that they just go back to normal next year. Is that I, at least a possibility? Do you yeah, think? I think. I mean, the, I nobody said anything positive about them. Now it's all about sales, so I guess that's going to it probably be determined by how many jerseys they sell. But there's Scott. There's I'm fine with like during batting practice and during the home run derby having some sort of special all-star jersey but there's something special about inside of the all-star game you see all these guys wearing their home jersey and playing together like that's that's one of the indelible images of the all-star game that they just got rid of this year yes i i I didn't realize how much i like that element of the all-star game until I saw that out there. I mean, it was an insult to softball jerseys, too. Because here's the thing. And MLB, you know, they nobody steps on its own foot like Major League Baseball. You had your, your crown jewel summer classic, all eyes on you. I couldn't tell the players apart. Like... I, I, I wasn't sure who was batting unless, you know, oh, that's Brandon Crawford because I can tell he's got long hair. That's Corbin Burns because he's got long hair. I mean, just watching it, you had to wait until the graphic came up on the screen for some of these guys to know who these guys were, especially from teams out of market. Like, I don't know who the Oakland A's guys were off the top of my head, or, or, or I, I couldn't identify them. So you have your all-star game. And you put everybody in monochromatic jerseys with strange numbers and, and logos and things that you really can't make out. The color coordination, not that I'm some fashion guy, but the color coordination was bad. And then you couldn't really tell who was who. It was maddening that way. Not to mention, yes, just the cool factor of, you know, when they all line up along the respective baselines and, okay, here are my brewers. Mm-hmm. We got one guy, or we got two guys, or we got five guys, whatever it's been. And there he is, and he's got his Brewers jersey on, and he tips his cap. Or, you know, people have said how much they enjoy seeing Red Sox and Yankees playing shoulder to shoulder there on the infield. You lost all that. Yeah. <laughs> didn't realize how much I enjoyed it until I watched that. Agreed. All right, what's your other thing? Okay, the other thing, I cannot believe they sold advertising on the umpire's jersey. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. I mean, here, and, and, and specifically, a patch on the chest. On the chest. Okay, you're going to do a little something on the sleeve, which, oh, by the way, is the same sleeve where they put the initials of umpires who have passed away and usually honor them that way. I don't know where that went, but if you notice, that those patches are gone. And that, is it FTX? Right? Is that what it is? Some sort of cryptocurrency. I yeah. think that's what it is. Yep. Some sort of cryptocurrency contract that MLB is. And it's you have the MLB logo over their heart on the pocket, so the upper left chest. And then on the upper right chest is this giant patch 
I saw it at the All-Star game. I thought, okay, maybe it's just something they're doing to get a little publicity at the All-Star game. And then we see the first series after the break, and all these umpires are wearing this giant advertising patch on their upper right chest. I don't know. I have an affinity for umpires. But when I'm seeing Larry Vanover as a walking billboard, I don't sleep well at night. I don't. Sorry. Or Joe West, for that matter. Joe West, Tom Hallion. There's been uh, – yeah. you know what? If Honestly, with the level of umpiring recently, does a company really want to be advertising on that? No, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, is it really bad? Is it really worse than it's ever been? I think so. I don't know. Oh, I, I don't know. I think the technology allows us sitting in our seats and our couches to say right is wrong. I don't know. That, I, the I don't Red know. Series before the All Star break was some of the worst umpire games you've ever seen. <laughs> the the non reversal on the pick play on what was that on Saturday? Like I just I don't know how you don't. Like, I just I think there are more befuddling calls now than there's ever been before. Well, I, I don't get I don't get replay. Like I don't even in basketball and in the NFL. I have a feeling like I can kind of usually discern, and most fans can, if a call's going to stand or if it's going to get overruled based on what they see on their replay and while the officials are looking at it. I don't, ever since MLB instituted uh, instant replay, flip a coin. It's the craziest thing. I, I, I don't know what is and is not overruled. And I think I've told you my theory before. Uh, my theory, my theory is that because you have an active umpiring crew in the replay center, that influences no, the decision. Absolutely. Because in the NFL, that's not the case. In the NBA, um, I don't believe you have active officials in the replay center. But in MLB, you got, if the rotation is right, you got Joe West sitting in front of a computer screen. I, I, just, I don't like that. I think inherently they're going to side with their brethren, even if that means the call is or is not correct. I, I agree. And we will leave it on that. Scott, uh, always enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk to you uh, coming up in the, uh, in the month of uh, September. Oh, the home stretch. Keep me ready for the home stretch. Thanks, Matt. Scott Warris, the host of WTMJ Nights, joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. This is the last week for a while that I have to give this disclaimer. If you uh, are looking for Brewers baseball and you go to WTMJ and you hear Bucks basketball, what you can do is you can shift to a 94.5 ESPN. Now, the only – actually, I can't give that disclaimer anymore. We are done. As I think about it, we are done with that disclaimer because the Brewers, they moved their Tuesday game up to uh, to uh, 310. So that is going to give plenty of time leading into uh, game six of the Bucks. I'm recording this on Sunday night. I'm, I'm talking out of turn, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm making an assumption. I am assuming that the uh, Brewers' afternoon game on Tuesday will indeed be on WTMJ. Uh, there will be lots of Bucks coverage to go along with it leading into the Bucks game. But that's, that's five hours between the start of the Brewers' game and the start of the Bucks game, I assume. So if I, I haven't seen anything. We, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure emails will be sent out and things like that coming up on Monday. And uh, you can follow along on social media if the decision were to be made to put the Brewers on 94.5 ESPN because of uh, Bucks pregame stuff. Uh, I guess that I don't. I mean, those decisions are well above my pay grade, and I don't know the uh, what goes into those decisions. So probably I shouldn't even be talking about it right now. But I'll say this: if on Tuesday it's three three fifteen. And you're looking for Brewers baseball, and you go to WTMJ, which I think it'll probably be there, but it's not there. You can go to 94.5 ESPN. And then Game 7, if the Bucks were to lose Game number 6, which we don't want to see that happen, but if they were to lose Game uh, 6 on Tuesday, Game 7 would be in Phoenix on Thursday, but that is an off day for the Brewers, so that doesn't even impact things as well. So with, uh, with a bit of a disclaimer, I believe there's going to be no more Worrying about finding the Brewers on 94.5 ESPN, I would think. That's my guess. 
uh, until we get uh, into August again, and then when there's uh, Packers games, uh, we'll be having uh, that same discussion. But it's a quick turnaround, by the way. Very quick turnaround when you consider uh, you know, the, the NBA season going so deep into the year, and the NFL season is going to start at their normal time. Um, and, yeah, so you're going to be moving from – uh, the from the NBA season to the NFL preseason in the course of uh, a little bit about a month or so. That's going to be uh, that's going to be how long it's going to end up taking. So I don't even when is the pre, when's the first preseason game for the Packers? Let's go look at that. This is uh, here's good podcasting. I could just press pause and I could do that. No, okay. So August fourteenth is the first preseason game for the uh for the packers and the bucks could potentially play game 7 on July 22nd that's Thursday so it would be less than a month between the bucks season ending and the packers season starting which is uh which is rare generally you have about 2 months of uh, time in there but the NBA season went about a month late this year uh, due to everything going on uh, with uh, with the pandemic, obviously. But anyways, I, I, this, has been a, uh, this has been a long explanation to say if for some reason Brewers aren't on WTMJ, just head to 94.5 ESPN and you'll, you'll find them there. The schedule this week, again, uh, Tuesday's game has been moved up. It was originally a 7 o'clock game. It's going to be a 3 o'clock game. That way uh, folks can pay attention and watch and go to Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Uh, Wednesday's finale against the Royals was always going to be an afternoon game. That's a 1 o'clock start. And then a big weekend coming up with the White Sox in town Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And how about Sunday? Sunday night baseball coming up on Sunday when the Brewers match up against the White Sox. That's uh, going to be a lot of fun. The Brewers, I've been, this is my sixth year. I think it's my sixth year. Uh, in Milwaukee covering the Brewers. I don't remember a Sunday night game, home or away. Certainly not at home. I don't remember one away either, unless I'm just completely forgetting something. And if I am, I'm sure you can get at me. Now, last year, the Brewers were scheduled to play a couple Sunday night games in the first month of the season. And then that didn't happen because there was no start to the season due to the pandemic. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, we're we're looking forward to seeing the Brewers play on Sunday Night Baseball. That's gonna be pretty. Uh, that's gonna be pretty cool. All right, so that's gonna do it for this week's podcast. Appreciation to uh, Scott Warris for joining us uh, as always. Listen to him on WTMJ nights six to nine weekdays. WTMJ when there's not a Brewers game or a Bucks game. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.